0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Big Chat, a podcast series by Norfolk's cancer charity, Big C, where we talk all things cancer-related, from bereavement and mental health, to prevention and research. Today I'll be speaking to one of our heart centre managers, Tonya King, who sadly lost her father to malignant melanoma some years back. What was it that made your dad get diagnosed in the first place? What was the signs that he experienced?
1: unbeknownst to me and my siblings because I'm one of six um so my dad had you know two two marriages and there's myself and my brother from his first marriage and then I've got four siblings who are quite a bit younger than me from his second marriage and um my dad had kept it sort of hidden a bit from us so he'd had a mole that I believe he must have drawn to the GP's attention um and they sort of looked at it and decided to remove it because it didn't look look right so um and then they told him that it was a cancerous mole. He didn't at that time share that with us because I think he was trying to stop us all from worrying. So yeah. so the first I kind of knew of him being poorly was um in early September of 2016. He was um, rushed into hospital with sort of stomach pains and they couldn't really yeah. find out what was going on. They thought he had a twisted bowel. Um, and while they were sort of trying to investigate what the pains were, he had a his annual sort of cancer check um it was sort of at the same hospital where he was so he said to them you know is it worth me still going he said you know i'm lying in the bed but i might as well go and do my sort of annual cancer checkup and they said yeah yeah and got a porter take him down it was during that checkup they found that his lymph gl- glands in his armpit were all raised they're a bit concerned about it so then done further tests that then um sort of led to the cancer diagnosis but um I say diagnosis, in in my eyes it was a diagnosis but in fact he'd had a cancerous mole removed two years earlier but um, yeah I remember the day we went to the hospital and I I wanted to go with my dad because he was a really big character and he was quite known for sort of his exaggeration when sort of telling stories and stuff and I just sort of thought I need to be there so I hear it firsthand and so, I kind of know what's going on and and also, I am that type of person. I'm the eldest of all of my siblings, so I'm sort of the person that takes control sometimes. So I went to the hospital with him, and it was my thirtieth birthday actually um when he received the diagnosis and I just remember the consultant saying, "I'm really sorry, it's not good news. Your cancer's back um and because the consultant that he saw wasn't an oncologist wasn't a cancer specialist he wasn't able to kind of tell him anything and my dad said it's okay he said as long as you keep me alive for this one's wedding because I was getting married in the December um and it's really poignant you know now in my mind that he kind of said that because he wasn't he wasn't there for my wedding so um yeah it always sort of stuck in my mind that he said that when he got diagnosed so and then following that appointment I sort of rushed off to go on my hen weekend with my friends and then Sadly, while I was there, I, I became really ill when I came back. And um, I didn't know if it was overindulgence, but it wasn't. It was food poisoning. And it meant that I couldn't see my dad for a week until we knew if it was kind of a stomach bug or food poisoning. So I'd spent yeah. a whole week away from him. That was horrible because he'd just sort of received that that news that it was cancer and his cancer was back and, and stuff. So that was a really horrid time. But, um, yeah, I think it was one of the hardest things was sort of telling the, the younger my younger siblings, because um, they were all really quite young still. Really, my um, when my dad passed away, my youngest uh, sister was fifteen, and the eldest brother was twenty. So they were fifteen, seventeen, eighteen, and twenty. My stepmom was mad and had them all in quick succession. But um, yeah, and dad had decided um, when he knew he was uh, ill again, not to tell the younger siblings for a while until he knew what he was dealing with, because they'd. They'd sadly lost their mum to the same cancer. She had passed away from malignant melanoma eight years previously, in um, ninety seven. So, and they were really young then. So, um, they were five, eight, nine, and eleven then. So, they'd already yeah. lost their mum to cancer, and dad just knew how devastating it'd be for them to hear that he was ill, and that's why he kept the news of this mole, you know, to himself. So, he decided to keep himself for a few weeks, and then I don't know, telling them was one of the hardest days of my life really I remember sitting them down with um, one of the district nurses to help us sort of tell them and they were just in pieces it was horrible really horrible um you know they were all just so young and I suppose I was 30 but I sort of took the on that role of sort of trying to look after them all a bit and stuff but yeah it was it was really difficult especially for them having lost their mum already you know I think they just okay. they were so frightened and although we knew how bad it was kind of we tried to keep that from them hoping for the best but um yeah but my dad actually passed away six weeks after that diagnosis on the on the 27th of September so he passed away on the 26th of October
0: it's really really
1: quick it was awful it was uh, I think we knew knew he was really poorly because he did go downhill quite quickly and I remember him sort of getting himself into a car and lying down in the back seat and going all the way to um, Addenbrookes for treatment and and nobody had really kept them up to speed of where he was and I don't think they expected him to deteriorate so soon so we had the hope that there was some treatment available to him but when he got there he was just too poorly for them to even do the treatment so then he came home but he, he wanted to be home and he did spend his weeks at home and I'd often... Stay over the house and sleep on a mattress next to the bed next to her, and stuff, so they are really special times, but um frightening times I think as well if you've never if you've never kind of dealt with that and you you're quite young at the time, you don't quite know what you should be saying what's helpful to do, and all of those little things so and they're things I've probably learnt since I think you know with other with other people and through my work with a charity so, yeah yeah, yeah.
0: see so, so you mentioned that um he did, he sort of passed away after about six weeks, and you kept it a secret from some of your siblings for a while. What at what stage did you actually tell them?
1: They were told um, about three weeks after we first
0: held the news, so they only had
1: like two to three weeks to get used to the fact that Dad was ill, and um, so I think had he have known the full full facts at that time I think he perhaps would have chosen to tell them straight away but because it was only six weeks in full anyway it was a really difficult situation I think he was just trying to do the best for them and and just trying to sort of come to terms with it my dad was really sort of ever the optimist really he was sort of a really positive person I think he just um, in some ways until a bit later on sort of refused to to believe that you know cancer was going to gonna kill him you know I think he really thought that he would get better until he started to decline you know so and we obviously all just prayed and hoped that he would as well so and he was he was definitely the the biggest sort of figurehead of our family so he really was sort of the 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 one who was I don't know who led the family and we all kind of looked to him and he was a real joker and very well known in the town you know he'd stop and speak to everyone and I think that's where I get it from because I can talk for England. So, And he was the same, really. So he was such a huge loss because he was such a big character and, and family was everything to him. You know, I remember him scaring the life out of my now husband. When he first met him, he said, ''Come on, I'll take you for a drive in the car.'' And they went out for a drive and um, it was only sort of weeks later that my boyfriend at the time said to me, ''Oh, my God, your dad's a bit scary.'' And I thought, ''Oh, no, what did he say?'' And uh, apparently, my dad had just sort of said to him, "It's all about the kids, all about the kids. What's happening on the knee? And we've only been dating a short time, so I don't quite know how that didn't scare my boyfriend off. But we're now married with two kids of our own. So, but but that was my dad. He he was really sort of uh, children focused and family focused. So, yeah, it was a huge loss and and just such a double blow to to my younger siblings. Really, definitely, yeah, definitely hard for them
0: and how do you feel like the grieving process was essentially it was less than two months that Mm. you had in terms of when he was diagnosed from his death do you feel like that would have been lessened if you had known for instance if he if he had been diagnosed a year ago and he didn't die until then i mean i think if you if you have the
1: um you know the added um thing of time i think if if you know if you know you've got limited time but you have time if that makes sense and I think you would make the the use of it and be able to sort of do things and and say the things that you perhaps wish you'd have said to people so I think there is the benefit of that but then I think you're also waiting for the inevitable and I think that's equally as hard so I think when we lose loved ones it's difficult in whatever way it is whether it's a shock or a, a short you know prognosis or whether it's a longer thing but um yeah, there's, there's nothing that can prepare you really for that that grief and loss when you lose a parent. For me, personally, because I had the other siblings to worry about because um, there was lots that had to be sorted afterwards. So because they were, all all three of them were over 16, um, they received no help and no support whatsoever and the family home had to be sold because of certain circumstances. So I had to, you know to worry about where they were going to live um you know getting them booked into college courses trying to get funding to pay for the equipment they needed for the college courses making sure the older boys um found work because they used to work for my dad's building company so there was so much going on for me I think I did delay that grief process for at least a year because I was so worried about them and everybody else and um I think it wasn't until about a year later that the that the reality of the loss of my dad hit me and then I had to process it and deal with it and, and I think that's where if Big C had of had have been, you know, here locally or I'd have known of Big C or someone similar at the time, I think that support could have made such a difference just for me as the eldest to have someone to speak to confidentially and say, Oh my god, I'm just frightened and have the weight of the world on my shoulders, really, which is what I felt at times. Um, you know, I felt like I was the one they were looking to, and I loved that, and I, I loved them all to bits, but it was it was huge, you know, for a 30-year-old with no children who wasn't quite married, to then go on to almost having, you know, these people, little people that she felt responsible for, was really big, and, um, yeah, and it had a, a really big effect on me, but I think um a year later, I was able to process it in my own way, And for them, I think it's losing both parents to cancer, you know, both at a young age, you know, they were sort of, um, I mean, the youngest, my youngest sister was only five when she lost her mum and then sort of nearer to 15 when she lost her dad. And I think for her, it's had profound effects, you know, and, and they have a couple of them have had counselling sort of since a later date to help deal with, um, that sort of grief process. But, um, yeah, it's not been easy for us, um definitely
0: yeah hard thing to go through yeah speaking about the fact that your dad didn't tell anyone that kind of reminds me in the sense that when my mum had breast cancer when which she thankfully had the lump removed for um it was my dad who told me and the way that she told my dad was by leaving the letter around so he would then read it as she's the type of person who doesn't want to worry anyone and is part of that generation who find it awkward discussing these topics
1: and I think with them having lost their mum that's what he just he just couldn't couldn't stand the thought of them being yeah. in the world on their own I suppose so he's got emotional subject but yeah I think that's what he found the hardest was the thought of leaving the children and especially the younger ones and so I think that's that's what he done. He just wanted to protect us all, really. I think we went for a McDonald's or something afterwards and, and he saw sort of some neighbours and he blurted it out to them but I think it was kind of the shock. I think he was still in shock so and I think it's almost easier, isn't it? You know, yourself if you're having to share a big bit of information that can upset others, sometimes it's easier to speak to someone you don't know so well as it is to those that you really truly love and are trying to protect. So but I think he I think he just thought that he could it and i think perhaps he thought that it was going to be as easy as having the mole was when that was removed you know and i think that sadly malignant melanoma in particular can lead people into that false sense of security And, and i think that's how most people understand skin cancer they think it is you know a very treatable disease and it is you know often it very very much is but with malignant melanoma it is um a more serious sort of disease and um is something that that can return and and I think whether my dad was unaware of that or you know put it to the back of his mind I'm really not sure but I just think it's really important that people realize that it's not always just the fact of having that lesion or, or mole removed and then everything's fine you know sometimes sadly it doesn't end that way.
0: And what is it exactly you'd say to people who do think that it is easily treatable with sort of cancer in the sense of like like your dad, you just mentioned then, um he had like a mole removed, he didn't think he had to disclose it all of that sort of stuff,
1: yeah, I think it's just for people to be aware, so it's not you know I'm, I'm not, i i'm don't want to frighten anyone. skin cancer is often very treatable um and you know not one of the the most dangerous cancers, however, malignant melanoma can be life threatening um and I think it's just for people to be really aware so in the sun I think in England we because we it's not hot all year round because we have these really changeable weather systems we kind of don't get in the habit to always have sun cream in our handbag and stuff like that so I think it's it's being more sun aware and sun safe so um you know making sure you've got the SPF wearing a hat keeping it out of midday sun and and also knowing your own body so knowing your own skin and the moles that you have you know and, and just reporting to a doctor and going to see the doctor if you've got um, you know a funny skin lesion freckle or mole that is sort of crusty bleeding itchy or has a change and it's like that for more than four weeks just go to the doctor they don't care how many times you go they don't care if you appear a bit neurotic it's always better to get it checked because we you know we we're all so much busier than we used to be aren't we and we all put these things off or think oh, it'll go away and and I always say to people, if you notice something, a change in your body, whatever it may be, and and you think, oh, I need to get that checked, just put a little note in your phone or in your calendar on your phone so that you really are aware of when it first happened or when you first noticed it. Because I think we can all do that thing of thinking, oh, yeah, um, that was just last week that I noticed that small lump or whatever. And actually, before you know it, it was actually three months ago and it's had quite a change now and you've still been putting off going to the doctor and stuff, so... I think it's just for people to be aware that, you know, any cancer is serious um, and just to be safe in the sun. And, and please, you know, young ladies, don't feel you've got to go on a sunbed to look attractive. There's amazing fake tan products out there. Um, and if you do get a natural tan in the in the summer, which I do, I tan quite easily, but just do it safely. Just try and, you know, just try and... You know wear the sun cream and keep covered up and just be sensible just avoid getting burnt and avoid some bed use that's my biggest messages to people
0: mm. and um what would you say to people what if for people listening um would you happen to know off the top of your head any of the um signs and symptoms that you could let people know
1: yeah so um i'll just find it here becky So um, things to look out for um, with your skin is um, something that doesn't heal for four weeks or more. So it could be a sore, an ulcer, a lump or a patch of your skin. Um, And that's including freckles or moles. So any changes in your moles or freckles. Um, And by something that doesn't heal, it may be something that looks unusual. It could hurt, um, be itchy. Um, Sometimes it could bleed or scab up. And if something's been like that for four weeks or more and it's just not healing or it keeps reappearing every time it looks like it's going to heal, please just go and get it checked out with a GP. Um, And with moles in particular, the the doctors use the A, B, C, D, E terminology to remember what to do with moles. So A is about um, it being asymmetrical. So often moles should sort of, um, you know, have a really sort of symmetrical look about them. Um, and the border of the mole is very important, so that's the B. So the border of the mole should be sort of very smooth and clear, so not with jaggedy edges. So that's something to look out for. The colour of the mole, so if a mole um, changes colour or has really dark or black spots, that's worth getting checked out with a doctor. Um, diameter is the D, and that's um, most moles um, are smaller than a um, pencil on a, pen, a pencil, rubber on a pencil. So if you sort of if you're worried about a mole and think, oh that's a really big mole, you know, just just put a pencil with the eraser on it at the ends and just sort of see if it's um that sort of size or not. So they're ones to keep an eye on if they're bigger than that size. Um and evolving is the ease, that means if it's changing, because usually moles do stay the same. So new ones aren't unusual, but if something um if something sort of changes it's always uh, good to be aware of it. Yeah, so that's the A B C D E. But basically, just know your own skin and body. And um, if you are sort of quite a moly person, which some of us are, it's always good to get perhaps some your your partner or your mum or dad sort of you know get them to know the areas you can't see, such as your back and stuff like that. But my dad's was definitely a result from sun exposure. He was a builder, so he just spent hours in the sun with his top off, probably not using sun cream. You know, in the years before it was sort of so widely known that it had such a big impact, and and also my stepmums as well was was due to sun exposure as, as a child and getting sunburnt as a child. So, you know, the the dangers are real, unfortunately.
0: Yeah.
1: How old was he at the time? Um, oh God, now you're asking, fifty fifty six Six fifty-six at the time so yeah so he was still really young when I you know and I find that quite scary my, my stepmom was only 35 when she passed away and and now that I'm 44 myself you think oh, that's no age you know when you're younger you sort of think of that being quite old but it isn't at all you know he was still so so young um and but now my siblings are very you know they're very sun aware they're very safe in the sun and things like that and we all get really I suppose upset and worried about people when they talk about going on sunbeds and worrying about tanning in the sun and stuff like that. and And I love the sun, but I'm just more careful now. and more aware of it, and and I think people need to be, you know. And if if me doing this podcast makes one more person sort of more aware of the sun and you know using SPF and covering up and not going in the midday sun, then that's that's my job done really. And that's why I'm talking about it today is just to make people more aware that it's not always you know an easy fix you know it's still a serious condition so yeah I think um if I can get that out to people then I'll be happy really
0: (laughs) and as you mentioned closer to the age of like he was when he died from it do you feel like as you've got your own family now you can kind of relate and see where he was coming from a bit more in that sense as well
1: absolutely and even like speaking to my stepmum you know before she sort of passed away and and speaking to my dad you know you, you just can't imagine being a parent and especially to children you know of the age they were for both you know my step my and my dad you can't imagine just the gravity of you know knowing that you've got to leave your children behind you know you just don't I think they and I think that's what makes me so proud of the way they both dealt with it you know they were both although they you know had their tears and stuff they were both so stoic and, and brave and just had the interest of everyone else at their heart, you know, and I think my work with Big C shows me that with a lot of patients, you know, day in, day out, they're often not worried about themselves, they're just worried about those that they, you know, those they love or those they know that they're leaving behind. And I think that's, you know, the bravery in people is astounding actually, you know, it's incredible to see. So I think that, yeah, it just makes me, now that I'm a parent, it just makes me realise the magnitude of that, I think.
0: You mentioned your youngest sibling at the time was 15. How do you feel like they coped? Like, Did they have to go into care or anything because they lost both of their parents?
1: Well, we were, um, we were really fortunate in that um, we had to go to court. So um, myself and a family friend became her legal guardian. So I was really fortunate I was able to do that. And I, I remember being in floods of tears at the time and um, just... I don't know, I just found it really nice to be able to do that for her and to do that for, you know, my dad and stepmom and to become a legal guardian for her. I was really proud of being able to do that. And, um, and a family friend, so myself and a family friend, had dual sort of um, parent responsibility for her and guardianship for her. So, um, but it was really tough because she was the age where she was sort of, you know, trying to test all the boundaries, finding herself, you know trying to get exams complete at school and all the rest of it so she did end up um lodging with the the family friend um and and it went really well really she went into um college and 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 was okay so um I think it's had lasting effects on on them but um she was so so young when she lost both parents so um but she she has a family of her own now she's got three beautiful girls my three nieces and um and they're all wonderful, and I think she has used the focus of having them to help her cope with it, and she just pours all her love into her girls now, so that's her kind of way of of dealing
0: with it. In that sense, then, I guess, how do you feel like your whole sort of family's structure had changed after that? Um,
1: It's massively changed, really, because I think... When you've got a parent and and they all lived at home as well at the the time of my dad's death so they they were all living i wasn't but um they were all living at home so the family home um you know had to be sold or handed back to the council um so they all had to find their own independent ways of living um so the three elders went into kind of house shares and it made them grow up quickly they had to definitely grow up quickly and and we're, we're still all really, really close to this day. The boys are typical boys and go off and do their own thing and I only get a phone call when they're in trouble or um, perhaps need to borrow money or something like that, um, which is, you know, which is absolutely fine. And they know that I'm always here for them. Um, and the girls I have, you know, more regular contact with because girls are often better at, at doing that. But, um, yeah, so it has changed the dynamics in that we're sort of, i suppose almost a little bit more scattered before before we would have been if that makes sense but we do we do try and sort of always message each other on you know the anniversaries and stuff and obviously covid has meant we've not been able to see each other but we are all still really close and and um you know we don't spend loads of time together and stuff like that like families often don't these days but we'd always be there for each other always and and especially with my sisters I have a really good relationship with them and was at the birth of um my nieces and, and things like that and so um, I have become more of a mother figure I would say to them than a sister and so we do have that really really special close bond which is something that's amazing and positive to come out of something that's so sad really and um, another thing I think is my work with Big C I think had I have not had the experiences I had with with losing both my stepmom and stepdad I don't know whether it had been a career choice that I'd have gone down I've always loved being with people and and things like that but my my career before Big C was really based in hospitality so I'd kind of trained as a chef and stuff like that and um and then I done some hours at the local Asda store when my boys were both very young sort of just to bring a bit of money in and to get me out of the house and stuff and they were looking for a community champion so I became the community champion of the store sort of speaking with the charities arranging for them to come in and do collections and stuff like that and there was a advert in the local paper for anyone wanting to train to become a cancer awareness champion and you know anyone will tell you sort of, if they go on about some beds or they can't be bothered to put some cream on I'm the first sort of saying now come on you know that can be dangerous you know let's do this because of our experience so i did go and train to be a cancer awareness champion and sort of volunteered in the community bringing people's sort of awareness to different cancer types and things and then about six months after i'd done the training i saw the advert for big c in the paper and it was almost like a it sounds really cheesy but an epiphany I read this job description of you know do you like speaking to people well yep (laughs) you know do do you believe cancer to be an important subject do you feel you could support people affected by cancer and I was just like this is like my dream job and my little boy was only like just over two at the the time and obviously going into work full-time is a massive decision but I thought well I'm I'm gonna go for that interview even if it means I don't get the job or whatever and And I remember the call to say that I'd been successful and I just, I cried afterwards, I just cried because I just, I know what a difference that support can make to people. Um, And I think we'd have found the whole journey following the loss of my dad easier had we have had some of that support Um, and just somebody to speak to and a counselling service and all the stuff that Big C does. I just know it would have made a huge support support to us and the difference it could have done so... Yeah, so I'm really proud that I don't know out of something so horrific, you know, I've sort of turned it into something so positive, really. And I just I love yeah. every day of my job, really. So yeah. yeah, so it's lovely that that's happened, and it it gives me, I don't know, just a nice warm fuzzy feeling that you know, out of out of that, you know, my my job and my new career came, and I've now been at Big C over eight years,
0: so do you feel like it's really helped you then speaking to other uh, family members who who've got somebody going through cancer themselves kind of in the sense that you you can talk to them on a more personal level in that sense
1: yeah i think so i think um you have to always obviously be careful it is about the person you're speaking to and it doesn't turn into conversation about you know yourself and your situation but i think i have a really Really good understanding that you know when a cancer diagnosis happens, it's not the person and the patient it affects. It's it's everybody. So anyone that loves that person, whether it be friend or family member, um, and it does. It just has such a, a knock on effect with everybody. And and as someone you know, I helped care for my dad's in his sort of last days and was there when he passed away. And and I think you know to have. To have that experience to be able to share that with people and and tell them you know little things you've found helpful and difficult is really useful and I hope that it makes me more empathetic and understanding with people and I feel that having that experience does really really help.
0: If you had received support from Big C yourself during that time uh, which area of the support process do you think you would have personally found most valuable, you know, in terms of counselling, the support group? Yeah, I think, um, so I think now that
1: I know, you know, all that Big C offers, I think the welfare advice would have obviously been really helpful because we had, you know, my my four, you know, brothers and sisters that were, you know, Not 18 yet, but they were also over 16, so some were in uh, further education. So even just trying to find out, the the second youngest sister went on to college and and living independently. But to try and find out about ESA just took weeks and weeks and weeks. And had I been able to have one appointment to discuss all of that, and um, you know, even down to things like you know us trying to to find help and support to provide a headstone for my dad and things like that. So. So, I think an appointment with a welfare advisor would have been incredible um and I think you know being really open to you, I think the counseling service would have been useful to all of us at the time. I think it was a a huge thing to deal with, and I think there's something really beneficial in talking to somebody who you know who you've got that confidential relationship with and you've got a safe environment in which to share how you're feeling so I was really lucky and obviously had my my husband, who I who I married, sort of nine weeks after my dad passed away, so I had I had my new husband. He was a great support to me and and my mum. Um, I think having that independent person to speak to would have been really beneficial. So yeah, I think those are the the two main things I would have drawn on, and and perhaps just being able to to pop into a big C center for a cup of tea and to have that listening ear would have been really
0: really good. Yeah, that's similar to what as we mentioned previously when I had the podcast with Lee that's what Evie had mentioned as well she had said mm-hmm. that one of the parts that she found so helpful with the service is the fact that she's not bringing all of her her negative thoughts to her family members and her boyfriend she isn't she's she's doing that with an individual who is ca- kind of separate in that sense of her life is.
1: definitely yeah definitely
0: and I, and
1: I did I think I did feel a tremendous pressure at the time because I was the oldest and and it was a pressure that I probably somewhat put on myself but as the eldest and 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 with the the four the six of us so my brother who was 27 was obviously fine but he had a really busy job and busy schedule so he done what he could but I kind of took on I suppose I suppose my dad's role as head of the family really I sort of took that on myself and and, and there was just so much to organize and and get through and you know and and sadly um my dad's um life insurance didn't pay out um because he stupidly <laughs> and we laugh about it now because it's so typically my dad bless him um he He was very busy in the in the weeks leading up to his um passing away, sort of getting his house in order and getting things organized, but what he didn't realize is when he'd completed his life insurance or or joined that policy he hadn't disclosed the fact that he'd had a mole removed um, so whether he just missed it or didn't think he had to because it was now gone I think he truly believed he'd removed the cancer and that was it at the end of it um, so obviously the insurance company didn't pay that out so we also had no financial support to help us with rehoming the children and supporting them into that next sort of part of their lives really and I was obviously one person and in one wage um you know which wasn't massive at the time so yeah it was it was really really difficult really hard at the time yeah but we all got through it and we're all terribly close because of the experience we've been through together
0: and lastly just what sort of advice would you give to somebody who is in a similar position to what you were at the time
1: i think it's all about um taking each day at a time so although you have to look at the bigger picture sometimes you have to just focus on the here and now and 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 what's happening on that particular day because um i think sometimes that's more useful to you in a way um and take each day as it comes you know sort of and find someone you can confide in so um it may be a, a, a friend or another family member but someone you feel really safe with and you can confide in and and you know and actually accessing the support services that are available so you know big c offers so much support to people and and just you know just you know i know you shouldn't google don't google about you know cancer but google for support services because there is some out there and that's across the whole the whole country there'll be something somewhere nearby you and um, there's a lot of free phone numbers now so you don't have to always live in the area where that support is being offered so just sort of access any support you can um accept help from other people so if someone sort of says I'll cook you a lasagna take the lasagna take the lasagna <laughs> you know just let people help you know in any small way they can and, and don't be afraid to give people ideas of how they can help because people often say oh anything you need and 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 you know some people may not need it but if they don't mean it they shouldn't have said it so i just think if they say that they'll help you Say to them, oh, would you be able to do this? Can you can you walk the dog? Because I don't want to leave, you know, my dad or the person I'm caring for. Or oh, it would be great if you could um, collect the kids from school when you collect yours. You know, just don't be afraid to ask people for help. They'll think no more of you. And actually, when you're, you know, a family friend or something, to be able to do something is helpful for the family is a great relief to you because you do want to help and you do want to be called upon. Um, so I think, yeah, take the help. Take everything anyone <laughs> offers you. Um, and I think mostly is about looking after yourself you, you know you can't support other people or care for someone effectively if you're not looking after yourself so as hard as it is to you know eat the food that makes you feel a bit sick to the stomach and and keep hydrated and 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 you know keep your sleep up just try and look after yourself because if you're you know you've just got to imagine that if you don't look after yourself and you're not there for people to lean on or to care for that person then you're going to be no good to anybody, and and just be kind to yourself, you're going to have bad days, you're going to feel really pants on some days, and, and, and you know, you can have them rubbish days, you're allowed to have them rubbish days, and to feel sorry for yourself, you're allowed to feel sorry for yourself, and say this situation is horrible, and that's okay, but find someone you can be really open with, to get that off your chest, you know, and so, yeah, I'd just, I just suggest just finding that support anywhere you can, definitely.
0: Thank you so much for speaking to me today. And thank you so much to our audience for listening in again. Remember to follow us on social media. Our handles are Big C Charity on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's Big C Tweets. Thanks again for listening. Bye.